Hey ghouls, happy hump day, and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks, and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey ghouls, happy hump day and welcome back to Ghoul Friends Podcast. I'm joined by my best ghoul as always, Lindsay. How are you doing? It's been a hot minute since I've spoken to you. I know, we've just been recording with other people. It's like I promise girlfriends is us. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a two-person production. It's not just one or the other. We've not had a falling out and we're just like <laughs> <up appearances. laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my god, we're too lazy for that shit. I know, can't be bothered. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, we are back. Like our schedule, we're definitely gonna be together on the episodes going forward. And obviously, Dracula's been announced as well. <laughs> so excited you guys know we're going to be putting that out and we're going to be putting it out the day after each episode again so it's going to be exciting but but we are not alone we have a guest today we have the lovely Belle how are you doing I am good and thank you so much for having me on I enjoy listening to the two of you's in general just chat and chinwag horror on your podcast so I'm I'm just I feel like I've been welcomed into the club so yay thank you I'm doing well oh great well I know we've all kind of chat between each other like on Twitter and stuff like that you've become like a great member of the horror community so really excited to have you on um and the theme that we have for this week's a really fun one it's Irish horror now you chose this spell so obviously if people don't know they can probably tell from you speaking um you're Irish um, but was there any specific reason that you wanted to choose Irish horror? You also chose both the movies today as well. Um, yeah, well, I think it's like, it's weird. Like, it's, I, I always like wonder if I actually sound Irish or not, because like my dad's Canadian. And then I spent three years living in America. And the only TV we get in Ireland is American TV. So like, I always think I don't sound Irish, but then that's nice. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the reason I actually uh, picked it is just because it feels like it's a I don't know I don't think it's necessarily a subgenre of horror but it feels like it's I guess a region of horror that's having a real like resurgence right now or just it's kind of really blowing up and people are appreciating what's coming out of this small little country when it comes to horror and I just think more eyes should be on Irish horror so I want to plug it. (laughs) national pride <laughs> yeah no exactly we did an episode a couple weeks a couple weeks ago on scottish horror as well mm. which i think we can kind of relate in the sense that people don't think of scotland when it comes to horror but both areas have like a lot of folklore a lot of history like there's a lot that you can tap into mm-hmm. for both areas so yeah it'd be exciting but before we get into all of that Nabelle, you obviously have your own podcast as well you're a big fan of horror so do you want to tell people a little bit about your corner of the internet and also like how you fell in love with horror. Yeah, perfect. And um, so, yeah, I have like my own podcast, which, and I guess 
general brand I don't know but it's like fishnets and philosophy and like so I've got my podcast and I also have like my website blog so I initially kind of started the entire thing because I did a philosophy in university fell out of love with academia thought like you know philosophy was being locked away from every of the normal people and it should be something that everyone has access to and I was like so but I love podcasting I love writing I also like you know videos so I was like I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna create one thing and like diversify my content so like if there's a topic I'm gonna write about it podcast about it and video about it so everyone has their own ways of engaging with it and that's how it initially started off it's kind of like I did it initially and I was just kind of talking about general stuff I love like kind of like sex gender all those fun topics and then I realized that the only podcasts I mostly listen to are horror podcasts and I was just like I felt like FOMO I was like oh this is not fair I want to be part of this so then I just decided to go that route and talk about horror genre horror films while also bringing in those other topics like making sure to focus on gender sexuality and I, I guess approaching it all from a more philosophical lens so yeah that's what I do and when it comes to how I fell in love with horror itself um, I was like saying this kind of like story as well when I was on Blaine's podcast the ladies and ligaments podcast which is another great show um, but I was saying it on there that like my dad was my gateway into horror like he is like an artist he used to work do background animation for 20th century fox and now he's like a just oil painter like he's a you know self-employed artist and um, but he used to always love practical effects so every halloween he'd like make us our costumes like all proper like makeup and special effects type stuff and yeah like and my dad and me were like movie buddies like we'd always go to the cinemas together so he was my introduction to horror and I guess to spooky elements in general and whether that was through animation or live action but it was my dad that was my gateway and then this is the story that I told on the podcast as well but I just love telling it and because people's reactions are always hilarious but basically uh one of the things that my dad made when I was born I, I guess it was like he wanted to make a buddy for me so he made this like I don't know like prosthetics paper mache I don't know what was went into it but basically this little kind of like gremlin alien type creature which like he took my baby tag from the hospital and put it on its leg and there's like pictures of me as a baby just like with it in the cot beside me and stuff like that and I love I that <laughs> yeah it's brilliant I love the reactions every time but yeah so my dad was my gateway into horror and so it was it was always going to be there was never going to be a case that I wouldn't enjoy horror <laughs> he wouldn't allow it <laughs> that's amazing and also having like with your podcast that's such a unique take like because I'm kind of the same and there is a lot of horror podcasts out there a lot of amazing ones but I haven't really heard of anybody do it from a philosophical take and as somebody that works in academia and higher education, I completely understand burnout and also how philosophy is very much underappreciated in higher education as well. Mm. It's kind of seen as humanities in general really is. Um, but, you know, people that have research in humanities or, you know, have studied humanities do have a lot 
of interesting takes, especially when it comes to things like horror. So yeah, go, go check out the podcast, folks. But the movies we're going to be speaking about today, so as we mentioned, because usually what happens is we choose one of the films and our guest chooses one of the films, but Lindsay rightly so admitted when we were chatting that neither of us know anything about Irish horror. So we said, you know what, Belle, you can choose them. So you chose um, two films that I've never watched before. Lindsay, I don't know if you've watched either of these um, yourself. No, I hadn't seen either of them either. So the movies are, we have like a monster movie, which is Grabbers, and then we have a folklore kind of psychological film, which is You Are Not My Mother. So was there any particular reason why you chose these, Bella? You, are these like two favourites of yours, or did you just think like they'd be fun to discuss and compare? Or yeah, what was, yeah. What was the reasoning? Um, like, I guess in one way it was both as like a, to kind of show the trajectory of kind of like Irish horror if you look at it like you know so Grabbers like which I love it's a perfect kind of just horror comedy monster movie it's, I really enjoy it but it's also kind of like very kind of shows what the landscape of Irish horror was at the time it was kind of very much the only thing that's going to get funding is if we kind of lean into Irish stereotypes and do all this type of stuff like I know around I think the previous film before Grabbers that had any kind of notoriety was like a film called Shrooms which again was like I think it was like a folk or a found footage style camp film but it was again just about Irish stereotypes and it was kind of like that's all we got so kind of like to show that Grabbers which I think does it really uniquely but leans into it and then You Are Not My Mother which is just like you could see that film coming out of and like even though the film itself like leans into kind of Irish folklore and it is very uniquely Irish the style of filmmaking and stuff like that is something you could see coming out of like America or other regions so I think it was a good way of showing that this you know Irish horror can have a place on the map of horror now so I, that's why I kind of wanted to do it but also they're two very different films so it would be fun to kind of talk like have two different types of conversations rather than like you know oh here's two folk horror films like then it would be a bit re reductive conversation so yeah two different types for different fun conversations yeah definitely and because this is like a first watch for like me and Lindsay it's gonna be really interesting to like hear what we have to say and also like if there's any like inputs that you want to bring in as well but I've chatted enough shite now so <laughs> I'm going to pass over to Lindsay who's going to start us off with grabbers. It's always the quiet places where the mad shit happens. They're pilot whales. They died at sea. I can't be self a sea monster. This is something totally different. Something, something alien. You don't believe me? Not a bit. Christ, <laughs> what did I tell you? I believe in coincidences. Not really. You are so lucky she didn't kill you. You were drunk. If we taint our blood with booze, we're poisonous to eat. It's extraordinary. Stay out of the rain, and we drink. You're throwing a party. <laughs> it's a welcome party for me. But we're leaving in a fortnight. It's just a goodbye party, whatever. Tequila! Is that in the door? Go 
Have you got some tags on you? Not on me, no. Oh, I'm pissed. So the IMDb plot for Grabbers is when an island off the coast coast of Ireland is invaded by blood-sucking aliens, the heroes discover that getting drunk is the only way to survive. This film came out in 2012, stars Killian Coyle, Stuart Graham and Michael Haug, was directed by John Wright, who also worked on Ordinary Lies and the TV series Our Girl and Brassic, and was written by Kevin Lachane. Um, Belle, what were, like, when was the first time you saw this film? Oddly enough, like, it's like maybe to my own detriment of it. I think every horror fan goes through that type of like you hear about a film and you're just like you kind of turn your nose up against it because of like the reputation or something like that so like I'd heard about it around the time it came out and I was like very snotty about it kind of going oh they're just again leaning into Irish stereotypes drunken Irish why would I want to watch something that's about that so I never actually watched it until last year for the first time and then when I watched it I was like I wrote this off and it was I should not have done that because it like even though it leans into the stereotype it does it in such a fun and creative and subversive way that it's like not actually stereotyping the Irish which I thought it was doing so yeah so I actually only watched it for the first time last year but it's quickly become one of my comfort rewatches. <laughs> I was reading that the writer while traveling um I think they got bit by a mosquito and they wondered what would happen if they had been drunk while the mosquito had bit them. And then this kind of idea stayed with them and then it later turned into grabbers, Uh, which I love that idea because it is leading into that Irish stereotype. I was kind of like, of course they have to get drunk to (laughs) solve what's happening. But it is really funny. It's like, it's heartwarming in ways Mm. as well. Like, it's really multifaceted and it's not just poking fun at the Irish. Exactly. And yeah, it's like really clever. It's really witty and it just has a good cast as well. Like um, I think one of the standouts for me is Russell Tovey as the kind of like prim and proper medical, like uh, not doctor, but like the person who works in the morgue, whatever that title is, but the one who examines, uh, I just thought he was brilliant and he, some of the best drunk acting I've ever seen in a film as well from like everyone but particularly Russell Tovey. (laughs) So let's get into this plot. So the film opens and it gives a very like straight away gives a very like nudge nudge nod to Jaws, another film that's Mm. creature features set on an island. The Erin Island sign looks a lot like Amity Island Um, so that was really nice for horror fans. Uh, and we're introduced to Garda Lisa Nolan. I wonder if that is a nod to the Nolan sisters. <laughs> uh, and we're introduced to Kieran O'Shea. Uh, Lisa Nolan is brought from the mainland to fill in for the the head of the Garda. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> and it's very much the opposite, but also kind of similar to. Kieran, like she's a workaholic, he's an alcoholic, and they're mm-hmm. both using these things to numb issues in their life that they don't really want to face or talk about. 
what are our initial reactions to Kieran and Lisa? Yeah, um, like I love the the actor that play is playing. Uh, now this is going to be like my you know the Irishness that has to come in. So it would be Garda Kieran O'Shea. So that would be the correct way to say it in the Irish dialect. It would be Kieran, and um, but he's played by the actor Richard Coyle, and like I loved just watching it because given that last year was the first time I watched this film I recognized him as the head of the satanic church in the Sabrina tv series so I was like oh what are you doing here as a drunk Garda <laughs> like that you're in the wrong place um but I thought the characters were really interesting and like I thought they did a good job with like Kieran's character to kind of show that he was clearly like processing a lot of stuff in his life like even though this film is like a comedy and it doesn't like lean away from that you know it, it was very kind of subtle in showing that he's obviously turning to alcohol to like mask his pain he doesn't want to dwell on it focus on it and like I thought uh Ruth Bradley playing Garda Lisa Nolan I thought she just kind of played off him perfectly and it was like a really good job of showing you know particularly like um and I don't know if it's like similar in like you know Scotland when like you know if you compare somewhere like you know Edinburgh or Glasgow to more regional areas but like in Ireland I thought Grabbers did a very good job of showing that you know the people on like Ackle Island are going to be very different like culturally to anyone coming from Dublin or anywhere more major cities and I just thought it was a really quick job of setting it up that these people have clearly some similar overlapping personality traits but from very different perspectives and I thought it was a good job of just introducing two interesting characters. Yeah, definitely. And also, tangent number one, it's <laughs> what you what you raised there about the pronunciation of uh, Kieran's name is really important, I think, because you see too often in American media, particularly, mm. people making fun of Irish names, and it's yeah. it's a different language, and mm -hmm. you would not for a second if it was like Eastern European or from an African country, an Asian country, you would not see the same ridicule of the name names but for some reason Irish like Neve or Kiva or something it's okay to make fun of it uh, and that, that is one thing I did notice with both these films and like there's not really Irish like Gaelic Irish names in them mm. and they're like they use more anglicized names and I did wonder if that was a choice by the writers to make it I don't know like more accessible but I mean, these names are easy to pronounce. Yeah. I know that obviously the spelling looks very different, but they're very easy to pronounce. So I don't see why that should be a barrier. Yeah, and um, but that's actually like um, you know, just even like a to go tangent number two, but like just <laughs> even, you know, just the the fact that as you said, like a lot of the names can be anglicized. You know, that's just you know, in general, that is the case for. A lot of people in Ireland like a lot of names are don't have like the attachment to our you know Gaelic heritage because of the fact that we were colonized by the English like you know so our language was stolen from us that's why it's considered by many people a quote-unquote dead language and that's why so many names are anglicized so you know when you're watching even films that are set in Ireland 
a lot of character names would even reflect that like both because as you said it probably is easier to market it if someone outside of Ireland can say the name without any issues because there shouldn't be an issue with pronouncing names correctly that's just a hill mm -hmm. I will die on like you know and if someone's name is like one of the most important parts of their identity get it right like um, but like you know separate to that it does make it easier to market it if the name is easier to pronounce in, in quotation marks for people who can't see that um, but then also it's just a reflection of the reality of a modern Ireland and um, what do you think we say about what me and Bella just said and about Kieran and Lisa's introductions. That's very insightful and I couldn't agree with you both more and even looking at it from so where I'm from is like quite a I'd say it's rural it's not as rural as Lindsay is but <laughs> it's it, it's a city but it's a small city in Aberdeen and we have like our own language which is Doric so you have Doric Gaelic you know in Scotland you drive 25 miles away especially where I am in the north of Scotland you'll have different accents and all these kinds of things but there is like traditional Gaelic names Doric names and people do sometimes make fun of that as well I'm thinking like even like I saw somebody have this discourse on TikTok a while ago like movies like Brave, like the Disney films, there's like a Doric character in that as well, Aberdonian, and you can't understand a word they're saying, and it's very much playing on that stereotype as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't mm -hmm. sound I don't really sound Aberdonian, or at least I don't think I sound Aberdonian, but it's like it's it's playing on that. And it's, you know, like you said, Lindsay, if it was any other region in the world, you wouldn't you wouldn't really have that. Anglo Anglo vacation if that is a word like makes us all ashamed of our accents though because I mostly speak Scots at home as well but through so much conditioning from other people I've been told that that's not an acceptable way to talk and it's unlearning that well obviously I don't do it in the podcast because it's international but in my day-to-day -day life the idea of doing that and then being told that I sound unintelligent like when I'm not unintelligent um it's insulting really it is it is um and that no you mentioned so i i really love the characters in this kieran actually reminds me a little bit this whole film reminds me a little bit of Shaun of the dead it's mm. it, i can the, the tone of it and kieran reminds me a little bit of Shaun in the sense that you know they're kind of well i don't know his exact age but they seem like i mean i think kieran's a bit older but you know they're kind of lost in life and they're using mm. different coping mechanisms you know Shaun probably not as doesn't rely on alcohol as much as Shaun of the Dead, but does use that as a crutch. And, you know, you, you know, has a very strong attachment to his best friend. So I can kind of see the similarities. Mm -hmm. And I do love the sense that this is a horror comedy and horror comedy is my favorite genre of horror. So I definitely gravitate towards this, but it does have that serious undertone in it. Yeah. The same as Shaun of the Dead does, you know, these characters are clearly, they've got emotional damage there and they're using things as, as a crutch. So we're introduced to our main characters in this really nice, succinct, concise way. We're also introduced to the film's main antagonist in a similarly concise way. We see uh, men out on a fisherman's boat in the, the darkest of night and something comes out the water and grabs them and pulls them into the sea and you just very briefly see like a tentacle type thing with something sharp on the end just go through one of the men and then drag it into the water so we've had our first taste of the the grabber as well as it's very humorously referred to <laughs> later on in the film um 
so Lisa, she's on her first day on Erin Island and a, a man has discovered, Loch Ness dog discovered these like 12 pilot whales, mm. corpses that have ended up on shore. Um, no, obviously, unfortunately, that one happens every now and again, but 12 is very unusual. Um, did you have any idea of like what was going to happen like when you seen the whale corpses I thought it was like it was definitely like that I just remember like the first time I watched it and then also re-watching it last week in preparation for this it's still one of those ones where when that scene comes up you're kind of just like I don't know where this is gonna go like it's just kind of really and I thought it was a really clever way of throwing it in there and it's why I think this film is just one of the like perfect like horror comedies because like for me horror comedy is also a genre which I deeply love but I think it's a genre of film where it's much easier to get it wrong than it is to get it right so for me like the best horror comedies are the ones that if you stripped away the humor they'd still be really strong horror films so I think like this scene is like one example of that where it's just kind of like really unsettling and unnerving and you don't know what's going to happen next or you don't know why these whales are are necessarily dead either because as you said the scene preceding it it showed this creature attack humans so you're just kind of like well why are the whales dead are they related to it I don't know and it's like really unsettling and unnerving and it just makes it pulls you in as well it makes you want to see what's going to happen next narratively definitely and after watching evolution with amber and that was about like a seaside and the sea i know not to fucking assume anything when it comes to the water <laughs> and also anything in the sea i don't know about you two but it fucking terrifies me because you don't know what's at the bottom of the sea you don't know what mm. ooky spooky creatures there are so i i went in just like i don't know what's coming for me <laughs> you to go deeper in the sea than mount everest is tall mm-hmm. like oh. that is just too weird gads no <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we see uh, there's like everybody goes to the pub we kind of see that um, Lisa's living there uh, and someone gets attacked and like the way the grabber is like playing with it uses this corpse to knock on this man's door mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm glad the grabber has a sense of humour fun and then like the husband gets stolen and then we don't even know what happens to the wife so we kind of see it in action on land after this as well mm-hmm. um our favorite fisherman paddy gets something out of the ocean it, like they must be fishing for lobsters or something and then it, like spits in his like colleague's face and he's just like i don't know what this is but it's not like a lobster. It's not a fucking lobster. <laughs> yeah, can I just say that man is the star of this show for me? I fucking love Paddy with all my heart. When you messaged me that like the other day, I was like, oh shit, I've not watched it yet. We watched it this morning and I was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> um, what, do, what do we think of Paddy? Because he has very much the comic relief throughout the film there to alleviate some of the darker moments. 100%. I think he's like a really interesting character because like that, like the character of Paddy, because like similar to what you were saying, Lucy, about like, you know, like 
that like Doric, I think was the word you mentioned about how it's like that play on you can't understand them and stuff like that. Like this character, Paddy, is kind of very representative of like, you know, very rural type of Irish dialects. And also the fact that he's drunk all the time is also an Irish stereotype. So like in other like in other directors' hands or in other filmmakers' hands, that would be used as like for the joke as in that's why it's hilarious like for it would be a harmful stereotype whereas here that's not it it's just him and like they all like they just interact with him normally or they're just like oh you know they just kind of it's like any your friend that's like you know bothering you a little bit you're just like ah will you piss off but it's not in like a harmful or we don't like you way it's just kind of like come on you're not helping but yeah I think the character was so brilliant it was just like Oh, I was just loved him. He was one of the standouts for me as well. And the fact that <laughs> he was the one that helped them realize that they need to get drunk <laughs> like, because it was just like you're like they they when they test his like blood alcohol level and it's just like a normal level like that, you know, is supposed to be like this. This is what yours was. How are you functioning? He has the best lines in this film as well. He had one about drinking whiskey or that, and like rather than fighting the monster, it was so funny. But also, like one bit of trivia that I saw, which was quite fun, even though it's not about Paddy. But when they have that um, bit where they're all trying to get drunk um, to put up their blood pressure, the director uh, John Wright said that he took a bunch of the cast on a pub crawl, and they all got absolutely pished as research to see how like what mannerisms and stuff they make when they're drunk so that when they did that scene it'd be more accurate and I was like oh 10 out of 10 I love the method acting (laughs) (laughs) so Paddy like ever the curious George takes this thing home um and at one point it jumps on his face uh, but then it kind of jumps back off again and at this point he decides to take it to the local marine ecologist uh, Dr Smith who's played by Russell Tovey um, and I just love this scene because in the background he's just like it, it's a grabber <laughs> it's a grabber <laughs> I discovered it it's called a grabber <laughs> And it's like the most simplest name, but it like it works. Like we've been calling it a grabber this whole time, but that's what it does. It grabs faces. Why not? Oh, and I love how as the film progresses, like particularly um Russell Tovey's character is like Dr. Adam Smith is like, you know, initially, no, it's not a grabber. Like, you know, that's not what it's called. But as the <laughs> film goes on, he just like relents and gives up because Paddy has just been unrelentless and just consistent with it. And he's like, it's a grabber okay (laughs) I'm giving up I just can't deal with you anymore (laughs) um so like we were saying um Dr Smith theorizes that it's perhaps the high alcohol blood alcohol content that keeps the grabbers at bay so they decide on this stormy night to try and keep everybody in the pub and get them all pissed, basically, so that the grabbers stay away from them. The grabbers are attracted to attracted to non-alcoholic blood and water. So if anybody's outside and they're not drunk, they're going to get grabbed, uh, mm. which we will see when a man innocently goes out for a pee. <laughs> I hate people who pee outside anyway, so I'm like, you probably deserve that. 
Nice sympathy, Lindsay. No, because it's really a bloody animal. (laughs) You deserve what was coming. (laughs) Um, They also discuss how there is a male and a female grabber as well. So the one that Paddy has brought to them is the female one. And they suspect that the male one is in the ocean. Um, And we kind of see hints of eggs being Mm. scattered about the beach as well. Yeah, and as well to convince everyone to come to the pub, they announce this at church as well. Um, they, the guard, decide that the pub is going to give out free drinks. I hope they compensated the bar owners for this because they drank the place dry. And uh, just like you were saying, that they announce it in the church. Like again, I think that's just such like a typical like Irish scene because unfortunately Ireland like. Again, one of the reasons why I like wanted to bring up like the topic of Irish horror, but like horror films in Ireland historically were not made or horror films that were made in other countries were often not distributed because Ireland as a country was so heavily run by the Catholic Church for much of our modern history. So like films like The Exorcist and stuff like that were banned for years and only like were actually allowed to be officially distributed like post you know either like or like late to mid 90s or post millennium and stuff like that and which is like insane to think about it but I think just the fact that this scene shows like the only way we're going to be able to convince people to like listen to us if we go to church because that's where everyone will be is very accurate for like a lot of rural Ireland as well so I thought that was a great scene to kind of just kind of show you what that this is realistic this would work but I did think it was hilarious how it's like Lisa is like pissed off her head and then just makes the announcement of just like drinks on drinks on the garden in the pub (laughs) Kieran is actually trying to be level-headed and trying like you know just kind of give them information but not give say too much and Lisa's just like we're going to the pub it's a lock-in she's me after too many tequila roses (laughs) (laughs) this is when as well we see a real like switch in their dynamic almost Mm. because she's drunk for the rest of the film and he volunteers to stay sober he's like I know the island a lot better than you I know the people a lot better than you this is the safest decision um but if anybody knows anything about alcoholism if you have a friend or family member who is an alcoholic the worst thing you can do is get them to just stop drinking because they can literally die you have to wean them off it um so I, like and i never even thought about that when i was watching the film but in hindsight maybe not the best idea yeah because the withdrawal symptoms like mm. geez i didn't even i didn't think about that either actually yeah i've known someone who's done it and the doctor basically told them they were lucky to be alive but yeah you're not Jesus. supposed to do that <laughs> um so yeah they swap places and everyone gets drunk except Kieran. um so when everyone has their stations around the building which again i can't imagine anything worse than standing next to a door like mm-hmm. absolutely off the tits like <laughs> i would probably just fall asleep so i'd be rubbish <laughs> Um, but uh, Lisa and Kieran are in the squad car and they're kind of talking about their feelings and it, like it's been hinted at throughout the film that there's a wee spark between them. Uh, did you just get that at all? 
yeah I, I did a little bit but then the cars I have to admit it's quite cute because I don't like mushy stuff but <laughs> I, I was a bit like oh bless this is kind of sweet <laughs> so oh you go back <laughs> yeah and um, yeah like I think it is kind of like hinted at like but in that kind of like like way of like there's you know it there it towed that line between like there isn't anything actually here but we're gonna try and shoehorn it in and these characters naturally just kind of build this kind of like new dynamic so like it towed the line because they're definitely particularly at the very start like it didn't seem like there was any kind of flirtatiousness or stuff like that. So it was kind of like, where is this coming from? But as it progresses, it does slowly change. But I do, one of my favourite bits at the start is when he picks Lisa up off like the ferry when she arrives and they get to the station and she's like, he's like, would you like coffee? And she's like, yeah, I'll have it. Like, you know, and he just like makes her just a milk coffee and it's just like, here you go. Completely (laughs) blanks her, ignores her. It's just like... It just shows him perfectly of like what his character is at that point of the narrative, and I was just, I just laugh every time. That's so funny. It's like fifty percent milk, and she's like, "I don't drink cow's milk," um, <laughs> which I feel like is such a city thing to say as mm, well. Yeah, it's the perfect line to show that this is someone from the city where they're slightly more posh. <laughs> it's just like you know, I don't drink cow's milk. Like that, like that is such a city person thing to say. So it was perfect. <laughs> Me and Lindsay just be like, oh, sorry, we, we're lactose intolerant. <laughs> so, um, as I mentioned before, somebody comes out the pub to go to the toilet. Obviously, this pub is rammed. The whole village is in it. And it just innocently goes outside to the toilet and one of the grabbers jumps on his face. And mm. bearing in mind, nobody in the village knows, except like a group of like four or five people, nobody in the village knows what's going on and why they've been put into this pub. But I was surprised he didn't freak out a little bit more when he saw all like the tiny baby grabbers <laughs> just like crawling along the floor. I would have been freaking out or just been like, I've had too much to drink or something. <laughs> He's like, it seems remarkably calm. Um but no little no shame and she like get it off his face and just like beat it to death and Smith uh, Dr Smith later comes out and the grabber grabs him and just Mm -hmm. throws him into the ocean (laughs) and like I feel like it's a very like unceremonious death as well I don't even think he's mentioned for the rest of the film no they completely forget about him and it was just kind of like he was part of the main crew. Aren't you going to just acknowledge that, hey, our doctor guy is gone? But I just like did think it was kind of hilarious that he was just like, I'm too drunk to be hard. Or no, wasn't it? He was like saying, it's just an animal. It doesn't want to hurt <laughs> us. It's just an animal. And it just like thumps him. Like, just, like, just whack it. And you just see like the limpless body just go, and then <laughs> gone. Exactly. Um. So while in the pub, uh, Lisa reveals, like, Lisa's trying to reassure everybody, but drunk logic, she's like, reveals that nothing is trying to kill them, and immediately everyone's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What did you just say? Which freaks them out all the more, and they have to try and get everybody upstairs, um, and then the baby grabbers, like, take over the first floor. 
See if I saw the baby grabbers as well being like as pushed as far as they were. I don't I didn't say I'd be like, oh, these things are cute. Can I pet them? I know I'd probably try to pick one up and be like, hey. Be like, I'm like Snow White, all the creatures are coming to me. <laughs> Do you ever see those TikToks? And it's all like it's always a black person saying like white women will like pick up anything and be like, oh. Cute. <laughs> like, someone else of a different race would be like, I'm not touching that, that's dangerous. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> we, we literally are. It could be like a venomous, poisonous thing. And we're just like, oh, it's fluffy. <laughs> so Lisa sets the pub on fire as well when she's trying to get out. Don't trust drunk people to do anything. But her and Elshay managed to get the attention of like the big grabber. Uh, so they can take it to a construction site and they have this idea of like lifting it up and drying it out basically so that it dies so they set the trap and O'Shea gets wounded and Lisa uses this construction equipment to try and like grab the grabber like what did you think of Lisa's plan did you think it was going to work well it's funny because like I just love how like all of their plans are fueled by drunk logic yeah. like so even the like you know like circling back a little bit because it's one of my fucking favorite moments in this film but it's like when they're all like lining out what like their weapons are and then like the bar owner like puts down like the super soaker gun and he's just like plants it down and they're just like that's a water gun that's not gonna help and he goes fill it with alcohol light a match flamethrower and then like before dr smith gets killed he's like light me light me and he just runs outside and he just starts pumping it and nothing fucking happens and it's just one of my favorite moments because like that's what happens when you allow drunk logic to fuel your plans but with uh lisa's plan um it was it's kind of like funny like even though it's obviously like only someone who's like pissed off their head would come up with that plan at the end at the same time it does actually make some form of logical sense because once it kind of stops raining if you have it like trapped in some form of contraption hoisted up in the air it would eventually dry out so it does make some logical sense but only in like the way that you're pissed out of your head that you could come up with it <laughs> i'd love to see like a reboot or a sequel to this where they're all high like imagine stoned logic with the grabbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So throughout the film as well, we um Paddy has been like carrying around this bottle of moonshine, and various people have taken a swig of it, and it makes him feel extremely strange. Um. But O'Shea has this bottle of moonshine. And when the grabber grabs him, he pours it into the grabber's mouth and then shoots a flare gun down there. Mm -hmm. And it, like, kills the grabber. Uh, I would love to know what's in this because it looks like bloody <laughs> poison. Um, everybody's just drinking it. Um, yeah, it's probably, like... Uh... Because, like, one traditional, like, Irish, like, the Irish, like, as in, I think every culture has what their own moonshine is. Yeah. Like, so in Ireland, the equivalent of moonshine would be putching, which is, like, like, an alcohol that's also made from potatoes, similar to vodka, but it's made much 
much stronger. Like a lot, like a lot of putching can't legally be sold because it's above like the legal alcohol limit. Like that's how like <laughs> severe it is. Um, but I'd say that that's what it was like even though they didn't name it i'd say that that's what his his drink was supposed to be a version of right i'm trying to think what ours would be in scotland what's our equivalent moonshine we have too many dragon soup (laughs) oh i love a kind of soup i dragon soup i mean it's not actually that high in alcohol but it it just looks like an energy drink everybody's Mm. always like oh you're crazy for drinking that i'm like why and it's just well it's alcohol and caffeine I think it's like people are more shocked at the caffeine than the alcohol to be honest but how can I forget uh Buckfast Mm. and Hooch Alice Lindsay got me into Hooch and I fucking love love Hooch now (laughs) I had one last night and I was like oh Lindsay I should toast Lindsay (laughs) it's just alcoholic lemonade it's great it is it's great Um, so after they've defeated the grabber, um, Lisa and Kieran are walking off, throwing his flask away, uh, you know, decide to live a bit more of a sober life now. And uh, they have a wee kiss, don't they? Mm. And this is them officially getting together for their like two weeks. He kind of says, like, oh, why don't you stay? And I was trying to remember, like, the timeline of this film. I feel like this whole film takes place over, what, two days? It Yeah, it's not, it doesn't really lean into, like, how many days. Like, I know it definitely, there's, like, what, at least two, maybe three nighttime scenes. Mm. So, like, it could be, well, it's, it's at least three, maybe max four days. So it's definitely, like a very short amount of time to make that decision of yeah I'm going to extend my work sabbatical and like you know work here for longer than I was intending to like but hey if you've gone through like a somewhat traumatic fight monsters event like it could change what your decision making skills are they're just working on a lesbian timeline it's fine (laughs) 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 it's true brilliant but the last shot of the film is back at the beach and we see that there are more grabber eggs on the beach Mm. and they look like they're about to hatch so a bit of a like cliffhanger that it ends on um what do you think of this like alluding to something more happening yeah it's interesting like well I suppose like most kind of creature feature kind of monster horror films they tend to always like, you know, hang their bets on maybe we'll be successful enough and we can have a franchise. And also as well, as you said, this film came out in 2012, you know, when horror franchises were really starting to kind of kick off and become a th- like modern horror franchises were starting to kick off and become a thing. So maybe it was just something that was in the like filmmakers minds of we'll just place it there. Even if it's the case that we never get another film in the Grabbers universe, it ends also on that way that a lot of horror films can end where it's like, eh, just because they defeated the monster doesn't mean it's all happy days for them. Like, it kind of leaves you questioning. So, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. Like, um, like I think it suits, like, I think that's what makes it more of a horror comedy than just a comedy film because, like, horror comedies 
I think if it land, if it ends on somewhat of a more, just so you know, this was a horror film note, then I think it does, serves it well. So yeah, I didn't mind it. No, I didn't mind it either. And that last shot as well with like the but the hatching, it's not super dramatic. It's not subtle either, but they don't mm. have the super like over dramatic music in the mm. dun dun dun. You know what I mean? Like the really cheesy cliffhanger. It doesn't yeah. overdo it, which I think helps as well. Um, but you never know. I mean, we've seen stuff have sequels like decades after. So maybe there will be another grabbers. Exactly. Given that this year we had Orphan First Kill, not a creature feature, yeah. but it is like a sequel that I don't think anyone saw coming, but is one of my favorite fucking films that came out this year. So I'm also like, hey, 10 years after, like, well, actually, technically it would be this year, would be a grabber sequel because it is 10 years. But who knows, maybe another few years we might get one. I'd like one because I think it's a really fun film and I think it's an underrated film. Like when people mention horror comedies, there's like, the standard list of names that always get mentioned and I'm like this film never shows up and it, I just think you know I think that's a, you know a disservice I think it should appear on those lists of like go-to horror comedies. I agree and like creature features as well mm. it's such a nice like twist having like a comedic creature feature um, and I do think it's massively underrated um, I had to rent it on Amazon so it's not like widely available certainly in the UK on streaming which I think is a shame as well because it's part and parcel like a UK lottery funded mm. movie so I'm like why is this not more readily available to watch which is a shame um yeah I don't, I don't know how to remedy that there's so many films we talk about on here and it's just like why is this not more available to watch yeah. and like even on I, I was just noticed yesterday so BBC iPlayer are putting a bunch of horror movies on just now and it's free to watch on iPlayer but it's all like your very stereotypical horror movies it's all American horror films mm. and like that would be such a good opportunity to put British horror films on indie British horror films like another creature feature I'm thinking of that I know you love Lindsay that's really underrated is Attack the Block like that is such a good movie what a film I, right and like yeah, these, if it's not on streaming services unless people are in the know mm. how are you going to find out about it um does anybody want to say anything else about Grabbers before we get into box office and ratings I think uh probably like the the main it's not like a necessarily a takeaway from it but like maybe it's like again it's an indication of possibly where the state of like Irish films were at the time but like when we if we look at the main list of cast like um Ruth Bradley who plays Lisa Nolan she is Irish she's from Dublin but um Richard Coyle who played Kieran. And then obviously Russell Tovey as well, but he was playing a Brit an English character, so that's fine. But the fact that Richard Coyle is an English actor and he was playing an Irish Garda, like I was just like, like maybe it was the state of, you know, we need to get someone that's more of a familiar face or something like that. I don't know, but like it's just like my one takeaway where I'm just like, I just even though I think Richard Coyle is a great actor, I just kind of wish it had been an actual Irish actor playing this character, just like as a. But then you know, I that's my takeaway whenever I watch any type of film that has any form of Irish characters. I'm just like, 
at least this one, most actors were Irish. And then even with like Richard Coyle's accent, his wasn't bad or he just kind of was doing a neutral accent. So it didn't matter that much. Like, but everyone else was mostly actual Irish accents. So it wasn't a problem. But like, if I think of like any other film where they're just like, we're going to have Irish accents for some reason. And it's like not Irish actors. It rubs you up the wrong way. So that's one of the actually positive of this film of like, that's why you should just hire Irish actors to play Irish characters because they will be more authentic. It's the same with like Scottish accents. Mm. Scottish accents are really hard to do. And then when you hear a bad one, it like rings in your ears and you can't ignore it. I don't know if it's the same for you with Irish ones. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, this is insulting. Yeah. Like, I love Mike Flanagan, but I will never forgive him for the horrendous Scottish accent in Bly Manor. That was fucking unforgivable. Mm. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> so let's get into box office and ratings. So this film did the festival circuit and it had a small release in Ireland. So it didn't make a huge amount of money, which I think might be part and parcel of the reason why it mm. hasn't had a sequel, uh, which I think is a shame. I'm very curious to know how they marketed it because this is fun. Like, I think lots of people of lots of different ages could enjoy it. People who enjoy very different genres of films as well. Um, so I think there must have been like a failure some way in the marketing and advertising because this film should have made a lot more than 440k at the mm. box office um, and it was made on a 5.3 million dollar budget IMDb does all their things in dollars mm. uh, so it was made on um, yeah 5.3 million budget so I think that's a real shame because as we've all discussed like the premise has promised we could have there could have been a franchise out of this potentially but something's obviously gone wrong somewhere and this film made very little money back yeah it's it is a shame to think about like I just you know maybe possibly a failure with the marketing here but like I remember like when it did come out like I remember vividly seeing the posters for it and stuff like that they were quite common at the time but like I just remember it being among like the Irish kind of like, you know, I guess social like kind of commentary at the time that it was just referred to as like the drunken Irish horror film. Mm. And like I don't know if that was part of like the official marketing that it leaned into it or if it was just the way it was picked up. And that's like why at the time I had that snooty, that's not that's not what we want to see type thing. And you know, yeah, maybe it was a problem like I think if they had of like I can't remember how it was officially marketed, but if there had been like no reference to the fact that the characters are drunk or anything like that, I think it might've made a hit more and it could have done better because when you go into it, not realizing that's what they're going to do, it works so well. And it's just so fucking funny. I love this movie so much. Um, But yeah, I recommend it all the time, but yeah, it's a shame. And I'm trying to think as well, like 2012, like what other kind of big horror films were coming out around then. Cause I, I, you know, I kind of think that that's kind of like the start of that wave of when we started to get more quote unquote, I hate this fucking term, elevated horror and intellectual horror and stuff like that. That's when those films started to really hiss and become bigger and more popular. So maybe a creature feature that was like, you know, about, you know, you have to be drunk to avoid the creature killing you wasn't what the horror zeitgeist was looking for at that time which is a shame because I think it 
should have done better than it did. I'm just having a look at what else came out in 2012. So we had Sinister, The Possession. There's quite a lot of exorcism films, mm. actually. Oh, Prometheus came out. Um, the Devil Inside. Oh, that was the year The Woman in Black came out as well. Dark, mm. Dark Shadows. Oh, that's when we had Piranha as well. So you know, oh. <laughs> I know. So kind of because I remember when I think of that time as well, I think of like the the bad creature features, like mm. the piranhas and like the sharknado and like all the, you know. Th- there's a bunch of them. I know you love some beavers, Lindsay. There's like some beavers <laughs> and stuff as well. You know, there was a couple at the time. <laughs> well, actually, that's a good point then, because as you said, the sharknados were really like quote-unquote popular they were really well known at that time so maybe it was like people had that association so they were just kind of like oh it's a creature feature what we've been getting is like sci-fi standards (laughs) sharknado films it's going to be something similar so we're going to skip it so it could be that which again is a shame yeah definitely but it's a funny one but hopefully off the back of this someone's going to be like (laughs) oh girlfriends watch this film maybe I should watch it so I can listen to the episode so maybe we'll get a few more people in on the fun grabbers to hands unite (laughs) (laughs) so uh, in terms of ratings IMDB rated this a 6.2 out of 10 Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it 70% and the audience 51% and Metacritic gave it 62. I'm quite surprised by those Rotten Tomatoes scores. I thought they would have been reversed, but mm. who knows why that's happened the way it is. I don't care about them. I'm more interested in what Belle and Lucy have to say. So, Belle, what do you rate Grabbers out of 10? Out of 10? Hmm. <laughs> like, again, like, you know, I always say when anyone ever asks me to like qualify like how I would classify a film and stuff like that or how I would rate a film my go-to answer is always like as a polyamorous genderqueer bisexual (laughs) switch how dare you ask me to like make one definitive classification um but like if I'm rating it out of 10 as in the horror comedy genre I'm probably rating it maybe, I'd say a good, like, you know, 8.5 or 9. If I'm rating it as just horror as a whole spectrum, then probably closer to maybe a 6 or a 7. Okay, dokes. What, what about you, Lucy? Can I just say, I'm still beside myself on that and I also I forgot to fucking say this at the start happy uh bisexual visibility week to all the bicons out there I've got two bicons here (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but for me um I think I'm gonna give this a six and a half like I I do really like it I think it's like a really fun film it's a really good film for a spooky sleepover um I think there's maybe some other horror comedies out there that are a bit better, but it's still really fun. Like, I, I'm not saying a six and a half isn't a bad, it's mm-hmm. a bad thing. But like you say, when we rate things, we're rating it in horror in general. So yeah, yeah a solid six and a half for me. I, I'm going to rate Grabbers a uh, seven out of ten. This film is loads of fun. I'd be like super keen to crack it out for like the next time I have friends over for a film because it's something that would be a bit different that a lot of people have not heard of mm-hmm. but it's really fun it's got a lot of heart to it as well 
and uh, yeah you, you just have a good time with grabbers so seven out of ten so that's movie one of our spooky sleepover over and done with uh, we're gonna take things a wee bit darker now with you're not my mother We're still trying to figure out what happened. When did you last hear from her? She left to bring her to school. Is everything okay? Has she gone missing before? Not in a long time. Ma'am? I heard about your mom. Is she all right? Hey. Doesn't feel right. I think we should go away. Just the two of us. Think you should take it easy at the moment. Mom, where did you go? I can't tell you. <gasps> Not yet. Things I need to tell you, Sharon. It's not your mother up there. If we don't do something, we'll never get her back. And then they'll try to take you. Dance with me, Sharon. Ma'am, stop. Yes, a very different film from Grabbers that <laughs> we'll start off with. So the IMVD plot is as follows. In a North Dublin housing estate, Shar's mother goes missing. When she returns, Shar is determined to uncover the truth of her disappearance and unearth the dark secrets of her family. This film was released in 2021. It was directed by Kate Dolan, and this is her first feature length film. She's done a couple shorts before, but this is like her first full feature. She also wrote it as well. Um, and the cast includes Hazel Duke, uh, Paul Reed, and Katie White. So this film, for, for me anyway, it's kind of like, it's obviously folklore, but it's also like a domestic film as well, because mm -hmm. it's about the household, it's about family. It's about mental health. Um, Belle, do you remember? Well, I mean, this film was is very new. Did you see that? Well, I don't think it had a cinema release, but did you see this when it was like when it first came out? Like, how how did you first watch it? Yeah, um, so it did have like a very brief cinema run here in Ireland anyway I don't know about the UK but it did have a brief cinema run the first time I watched it was part of the Dublin International Film Festival like the film festival which takes place across like the various cinemas in Dublin so it's like Cineworld the IFI which is like our Irish film board cinema so that's like kind of more like the arts supported one and stuff like that and then I think it was also I think the it's also the Lighthouse Cinema as well, which is like another fantastic, like, you know how like, like this is what I'm always envious of, like, particularly like London, but 
most a lot of places in the UK have those cinemas that like are dedicated to doing like events and stuff like that and like the lighthouse is one of those cinemas that does like regular marathons it does re-releases of old films and stuff like that it's such a good cinema in Dublin and um, but yeah anyway the Dublin International Film Festival it was spread across those as it was in 2021 it was both virtual and in person so I actually watched the film for the I didn't get to see it in the cinema which I'm kind of really good at about because I think the sound design would have been beautiful to have watched in the cinema but I watched it on my tv at home like virtually so that was my first experience of it and I like it's kind of funny I both like wish I had the cinematic theatrical experience of like how the film was made and designed but I'm also really glad that my first time watching it was literally just alone with my own thoughts at home because I think it's that type of film that really lends itself to just letting it wash over you without any other distractions or any other people and then sitting with it after because it's a film that you kind of have to sit with. Yeah, I was kind of the set, like, I did enjoy it, but it was one of those films where I had to sit with it, and then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it, like, I had to to think about it quite a bit, and then when mm. I did some research afterwards, especially the folklore and, like, the changelings yeah. and things like that, when you watch it a second time, I feel like you're able to digest it a lot more, and I really enjoyed it on my second watch. Um, how did you feel about it, Lindsay? Because this was the first watch for you as well. Yeah, like, it's a slow burn, but there's enough going on to keep you interested. Like, why is this woman changed? You know, you're interested in Shar's life. You very much get Shar's point of view the whole time. You're invested in Shar and what is becoming of her domestic life. Um, it's obviously like it can be quite emotional as well. Like, it's obviously not a very happy home. Um, so that could be a bit triggering for people but I did really enjoy it I really enjoyed the way they told this story of an unhappy home and like living with sick parents so we'll start getting into the plot so as we kind of mentioned we start off with Charlotte aka Char and we see her very kind of rough childhood and upbringing and they're based in a North Dublin estate it's a housing Mm. estate and I I remember looking at a couple interviews with Kate Dolan and seeing a couple reviews and they very much wanted to keep it in that you know the interior and the exterior of the home is very kind of 70s Ireland I don't Mm. know if that comes across well but it's like it's kind of like in Scotland where you have like housing estates where like the council haven't invested in it especially in rural areas so kids are quite bored you know especially those that are maybe like working class or lower middle class it's very much it feels like compared to the cities so like for us like Edinburgh and Glasgow maybe for yourself Dublin those kind of areas are really forgotten about yeah no it's interesting like um because it like maybe it's kind of like a little bit sad but it kind of almost has this timelessness in a way because Dublin as a city does neglect a lot of areas particularly in North Dublin and always has so as you know the director Kate Dolan has said wanted to kind of give it that type of like as you said that kind of like 70s Ireland type feel but it also feels like modern Ireland it like it feels timeless as in like the film like I really enjoy when horror films don't necessarily place themselves 
like there's no mention of when this is happening time-wise or era-wise like you know and like also I think maybe the fact that it's indicating that it could be the set like as far as I'm aware watching it it didn't look like there was any form of or no there were some smartphones with the guards and stuff like that so but it feels like it's both modern but also a timeless quality which I think captures areas of Dublin very accurately which is kind of adds a level of sadness to the tapestry of that film yeah I can definitely get that it's one of those films where you get that in some other media now it, it feels like it could be in the 90s it, yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't feel very modern um but we were introduced to Shar. we also have her grandmother which is Rita and then we have her mom which is Angela so at the start we're not really sure exactly um what she's struggling with but we know it's some form of we assume it's a mental health issue you know she stays very much secluded away from the family in her own room it's very kind of dark and very much you know she's she sleeps quite a lot mm -hmm. she's on medication and Angela sorry Shara is trying to get to school and she's missed the bus and her grand can't take her so Angela her mum you know offers offers to take her uh drive her to school how do we feel about Angela as a mother at the start of the film what's our like first impressions of her yeah like well I think first before going into that I think it's like for discussing the film I think it's really also important to like the very first scene of the film is of we learn later on Char in the buggy and, oh, yes yeah and we, <laughs> and we see like we literally just see like and I think it's just shot beautifully where you just see like it's that still image of you just see this buggy and then it's silent at first and then you start hearing a baby crying and then you see what you realize is Rita come out and pick up the baby walk into the woods place it in this like ring of like it's like a ring of leaves or some type of like you know herbs or something <laughs> not herbs she's not cooking the baby but <laughs> but she then like then you see her like light a fire and like that's and then it cuts from that to what is now happening with the, the rest of the narrative so it's like one like you're kind of really uneasy in that first and when you're first introdu introduced to teenager Shar and the rest of the family dynamic because you're just like sitting with what just happened and you're just kind of like what the fuck was that I don't know and then you're in this like home situation and it, I think it's just done really well because that's in your in the back of your head while you're watching this interaction with Angela who I think is played brilliantly by Carolyn Bracken I, like I thought such a good performance but I think that's like just playing in your head what you've just seen as you're seeing the mother like and I think it's like I like how it's both frames it that like you're kind of also you're both sympathizing with the mother because it's kind of like you know everyone knows someone who's suffering with some form of mental health and kind of seeing that very viscerally and visually you like it kind of hits home for a lot of people I would think but also it's you're seeing it from Shar's perspective where it's kind of like you know this maybe you know isn't the mem like the memories I want of my mom so it's like you're kind of it's juxtaposed it's like not taking sides it's giving you both perspectives and it's kind of just very real and I liked that yeah definitely I cannot believe I forgot probably the one of the most unsettling <laughs> scenes 
but that's so true but and when we talk about this all the time when it comes to a couple things that are very taboo not just in horror but in general it's always like harming children and animals and like in this starting scene you don't know what's going to happen you don't know if like the baby's going to get set on fire mm. so it start. It, it does make it very tense at the start Lindsay what did you think of that first scene when it popped up yeah it's really shocking because you're just like oh it like they're going out for a walk in the dark which is a bit strange and then you kind of she has like a book as well doesn't she and she's kind of like mm-hmm. setting something up and then you just see the flames and like what are you doing and then obviously in the next scene you see that same woman and it didn't click for me straight away that the baby was sure so I was just like that woman killed a baby and she has this teenager and you know obviously it kind of fell into place later on but yeah you're immediately curious what's going on with this family um and then when you see the mum who's got like quite severe mental health problems like we've seen dysfunctional family and witchcraft in like hereditary mm. and how like these otherworldly forces could just like drain the life out of you and you see that with Angela she's just lying in bed and anybody that has depression or knows someone with depression would be very familiar with that just lying in your own filth uh seems like a good idea at the time and I I just feel sorry for her because she she's kind of just like I you get the impression she doesn't fully know what's going on she's just kind of going through the motions like she's driving to school and she's still in her dressing gown and her jammies and Mm. she's just kind of doing it and Char's trying to talk to her and it's not fully penetrated because she's just not mentally well yeah yeah and then like another like again another way of like letting you know that this is very much in kind of north Dublin region they almost drive into a horse which like (laughs) horses are like oddly enough like there are a lot of city horses in North Dublin because there are a lot of regions where horses are like kept like on the greens of like housing estates and stuff like that so it was again another way of letting you know that this it's placing it like it's really letting you know that this is this story is taking place in a very specific region and I thought that was another like just subtle way of letting you know that like I didn't I didn't know that was a thing I mean occasionally occasionally in our rural areas maybe some sheep or some coos but not not a horse (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah I quite like because when I think of motherhoods and in terms of like struggles and mental health, I think of the film The Babadook, which is an mm-hmm. incredible film. Yep. But what I like about this is you're seeing the child's perspective as well. And as somebody that has gone through a very similar situation to Shar as a kid, like I can really relate to her. And I quite like that a lot of the characters in this film are morally gray. Mm-hmm. Mum isn't perfect, but Shar isn't perfect. The grandma isn't perfect. Even later, when we get school bullies, and she befriends one of them, and you feel like there might they kind of hit it, maybe like a queer romance thing, yeah. you know? Like nobody in this is perfect, and I really liked that because I mean that's what real life is, you know? Yeah, they were they just felt like real people. Like they didn't feel like movie characters. They just felt like people, and I think that was just done really well. Definitely. So as you kind of already mentioned there, about there's there's a horse that just happens to be be on the on the roads. Um and Angela ends up nearly accidentally hitting the horse. Um Char frantically takes the wheel and saves its life. Um she gets out of the car and then she's like, you know what, I'm walking the rest of the way to school. 
And while returning from her, she goes to an all-girls school as well. She undergoes some bullying from her classmates. And I have to say, I know kids are fucking savages, but these kids are crazy. <laughs> evil. Lindsay, were you just like, oh, I could have battered all of them. <laughs> yeah, like, and the way it progresses, like, that one little bitch in particular who's, like, threatened to, like, use her deodorant or hairspray mm-hmm. or something as a flamethrower and, like, burn her face and then obviously escalates to a really dangerous point later on and you're just like is she actually being serious like I know people bully and they maybe want to cause harm you know bullies often have their own bullies at home that they're dealing with but to actually want to murder Char like and for what (laughs) but yeah like just and again like I think like uh like circling back to the just as you said the school setting that just felt really real as well like Mm -hmm. yes these bullies felt a little bit like heightened in like their vindictiveness but it did feel very much like you can like I didn't go to an all-girls school (laughs) obviously I went to a mixed school but um it takes you back to that type of school dynamic of the way some people are just dicks as teenagers (laughs) and unfortunately they don't grow out of it into later life but um they just captured it but also I loved the art teacher Ms. Ms. Devlin I thought she was so good and I was just like I wanted more scenes with her (laughs) she was so sweet it's always like the art teacher or the drama teacher or the English teacher one of them Mm. (laughs) and they're your bestie for all of us outcasts out there yep Uh, but no you're right it it does escalate very quickly but those first bullying scenes where I think she has a picture of her mum and they, they they like burn it and stuff like that you could see that happening in a school you know like yeah. kids just being their kids and stuff but yeah it, do, it does progress but um you know you feel so sorry for Shara because not only has she got this shit to deal with at home but she's got this shit to deal with at school mm-hmm. so as she's going home she discovers that the family car has been left abandoned at the same spot that it was left when she was walking home and the driver's door is wide open um and the police are unable to find out where her mom has gone and it's Police being police, they're just like, you know what, you should just wait. I'm not going to go find it. You know what, just leave it, just leave it. What did you two think at this point? Did, did you have any inclination of maybe what happened to Angela or, yeah, what were your thoughts? Um, no, like, it, I definitely didn't see what the rest of the film sets it up. Like, you know, at this point, like, and it's funny, even though the film starts off with that very alarming what the fuck is going on scene at this point it's almost kind of like in the back of your mind so it's not at the forefront anymore so like I'm not really thinking anything witchy or anything like that is going on I'm just thinking that the mom has mental health issues and maybe you know something tragic has happened and like again I thought this was like a very accurate like of just how police in general work but also how the Gardaí work particularly for areas of North City Dublin where they just there are certain regions where they just don't exist or when they do exist it's very much in a judging any problems are your own fault type type mentality which is I think the way police treat any kind of poor areas of cities like it's like you know unfortunately it's a global thing it's not just here but it just it 
showed it in a very uniquely Irish way, I guess. But like, I really like um, the actor, Paul Reed, who plays the brother. I thought he like, who played Aaron. I thought he was really good. And like, it, he like that scene showed like, that's how family would react. They would react with that kind of like very like heavily critical and like not understanding why things aren't being done straight away. Like I thought it was a very realistic scene. Yeah, I really wish we got to see more of Aaron, to be honest. He was really good. In the car, like, the words, I can't do this anymore, were just, like, mm-hmm. ringing in my head. And I'm sure they were for Shars as well. She's very much, like, stunned into silence. And then when the police come, we're not we're not told, again, because we see everything through Shars' perspective and they kind of try and protect her from what I assume is the mom that has tried to kill herself before mm. and the police just don't take it seriously it's like when a vulnerable person with severe mental health problems goes missing they should be red alert straight away trying mm-hmm. to find them so that they're not being a danger to themselves or others but like you say Bill because of the area that it is they just don't seem to give a shit so after this um Angela does end up returning within a couple of days, but she's very different from how she was before the disappearance. It appears that, and I'm putting in quotation marks, like her depression is gone. So she's really cheerful. She's like dressing in like bright color. She's trying to cook family. She's dancing about, she's singing, she's very merry. And obviously Rita, the grandmother, is very suspicious of this. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, you know, Angela's trying to make dinner for the family. She's trying to make soup and she deliberately ruins it and like kicks it over mm-hmm. so that they're obliged to eat like the food that Aaron brings over because straight away she's been quite quite suspicious um, and I really like this scene at the dinner table because mm-hmm. Angela is just staring at her mom and isn't eating her dinner and I'm just like if looks could kill oh what, what mm-hmm. do we what do we think of this setup because obviously something's happened to Angela we don't know what it is but it's this like uncomfortable happiness yeah, I just thought the tension building was just really well done. Like, and yeah, like, and you see, like, you know, in the scene with like, and I like how it like, it's, I'm trying to remember like exact like where these scenes take place, but they juxtapose, you know, Angela after returning in the floral dress, like cooking this pumpkin soup. They juxtapose that with Char having that memory of like, cutting the pumpkin with her mom as a child and then the mom like kind of chase aren't you hungry for the pumpkin guts and chasing her around (laughs) the table in this like very kind of adorable but also like I wouldn't want that if I was a kid I wouldn't want my parent to threaten me with pumpkin guts that's a little bit gross Um, but it was like really cute as well but I like how they juxtaposed that those two things so it was like kind of like their way of making you doubt if what was happening now was actually a positive thing and yeah and then as I said the mom like deliberately knocks over the soup concoction that like when it goes on the floor I'm just like that looks like a witch's brew like it was just green and goopy and I was like that does not look appetizing like you know even if there wasn't something possibly supernatural going on I think that was just the right decision to knock that onto the floor I'm not gonna lie it kind of looked like snot (laughs) 
yeah it's like it's so weird when she comes back and she's just like full of the joys of spring and then this seems to be like one of the first times that the mask kind of slips and the way she stares at her mm. like the throughout the whole thing and like the mom just stares back at her like what are you staring at it's it's like it's eerie like you just you're waiting for the bad thing to happen like you know you're kind of half expecting her to flip a table or something and attack her or do something and you're just waiting for that to happen and like it made me feel really uneasy it's just something about dinner table horror that is (laughs) incredibly unsettling we've got Karen Kasama's The Invitation which is just so like dread inducing I haven't seen it yet but I'm hearing very similar things about the new Speak No Evil movie which I haven't watched yet but it's on Shudder but I'm hearing very similar things and then there was also that Who Invited Them one which just came out so it seems like dinner party (laughs) dinner table horror is a new (laughs) subgenre we love to say and The Invitation is such a good film I would be covered that a while ago that was good it's really good Um, so after this Char starts witnessing like increasingly bizarre behavior from her mom and this is when we get like the dancing scene as well I think the dancing scene is one of my favorites Mm. like she's just becoming so unhinged and Carolyn Bracken is just incredible like this you know she's just the way her unhingedness all I can think of is the word unhinged but that's what it is in its essence but also like as you said we start noticing increasingly weird imagery like it starts off with like at that dinner table because obviously the soup has been or whatever the pumpkin concoction has been knocked on the floor and they're having chipper the stare down happens and then the mom is like aren't you going to eat your chips (laughs) like you know in that type of like and you know the mom eats the chip and then the next scene it's like one that like any like I've watched the film two times now and each time it just disturbs me to no end but you, you see Shar in bed like hearing that the retching noise and then mm-hmm. she looks out the door sees her mom like or her mom and <laughs> quote unquote puking into the toilet and then like just or like the, no before she pukes like she reaches her hand like down her throat like more then like not humanly pot like so disturbing and then like ends up like puking and then shard realizes that she might have been spotted so like hides on the at the bed pretends to be asleep and just the way that the mom just goes are you awake and the way she then comes closer to the bed and the way she just says it there's no sound other than it's so unnerving that scene just got under my skin that would have been so good to see in the cinema because right. like a lot of, a lot of the thing, one thing I really like like about this one like later when we see um like Angela's face get distorted and we hear mm. more about like the folklore and how she's changed you know the doppelganger face is kind of coming to fruition a lot of that is practical effects Kate Dolan really didn't want to have to mm. and it's because of budgets as well yeah they couldn't do much special special effects but the ones that they did was like the fire and this scene and I think it's done really well especially considering that this is an indie film like they did a great job with it so after this we have Uncle Aaron gets poisoned Mm. absolutely savage and it leads to him being hospitalized and at the same time as well 
um, Shara ends up befriending one of the bullies, um, Suzanne. She confides in Suzanne about like the changes in her mom because she doesn't really have anybody to speak to. Yeah. You know, she, she, she's quite isolated out with her family. And in turn, like Suzanne tells her about like how her mom died when she was really young. And mm. it's mentioned later about like this kind of like potential like queer romance. Well, it, it's her friends being homophobic, basically, but did you two kind of get that vibe or was it more to me friendship to me it felt like it's interesting like because again you know as someone who was socialized as a boy and in the man and um, like I didn't have that experience but I know from a lot of my other like queer femme friends that it is that type of thing where you never like it's that is it friendship or is it actually a romance because you know lesbianism and other femme to femme attraction is something that's not talked about that much so you don't know yeah but I I my feeling was that it did feel like it was leaning more towards a sapphic relationship rather than just friendship like I got that feeling from it but I'd like love to know what your perspectives of it were as well I know I never got anything sapphic from it, really, but I feel like I should watch it again as soon as I'm <laughs> outnumbered on that. But, like, Sharon Suzanne's friendship is really good. Like, at the start of the film, when she's sitting by herself because of my sister works with kids in care, so, like, child development is something that we talk about a lot because um, obviously it's really prominent in her life and seeing her at school like a place where you learn most of your social skills really let's face it and she's by herself a lot like makes me concerned for her future so whether it's romantic or friendship like Mm. seeing her have a connection with another person I think is really important for her and it was something I was really happy for her to to see her do and they seem to just like back each other like immediately like as soon as something goes wrong at the house like Suzanne is just there and I think that's really important for her because she doesn't have that home her mom's really mentally ill like spends a lot of time in bed her granny is physically like Mm. not able to do a lot and like we don't know where the dad is there doesn't seem to be a grandpa figure Aaron kind of comes and goes I think he tries his best but he's not really going to be there for her. So it's so good that Suzanne comes into her life and they have this little bond going on. I definitely agree. I mean, I, as a wee lesbian, I got the sapphic vibes, especially from Suzanne. I was like, you know, not to, not to pin sexuality on anyone, but I was like, the gay bar's going off. But anyway, regardless of that, the friendship side of things is so important. Like, Mm -hmm. even just without you know she does she's so isolated because the only people that she has are her family at that age as well you do need a strong support system you need friends there and even though Suzanne has quote-unquote friends they're not really friends you know I can't imagine those are people that she can confide in mm-hmm. it's one of those things you know especially I, can, I didn't go to an all-girls school so I don't know what that's like but I can only imagine like how scary that is and you feel like you need to be part of something and part of like a pack and like she's just thinking it's easier probably makes her feel safe as well being part of the bullies but never having that real connection so it's nice for Shara to have that connection especially with someone her own age that gets it because I mean everybody else around her are adults you know can't can't really relate she can't exactly go telling them about the issues that she's dealing with with her own family so 
they do have each other's backs. Like you said, Lindsay, they seem like they really, you know, the rider dies for each other, which was, it's nice to see Char get a bit of a win, you know, after everything she's yeah. been through. So after this, one evening, Rita tells Char the story of her past. Um, so basically, kind of as we alluded to a little bit before, Bella, as you can allude to at the start, when Char was a baby, Rita realized she had been swapped with a changeling. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but the only way to get the real Char back was to place her near fire, hence like the fiery ritual in the woods at the start of the film. This worked, um, but Char sustained a small burn to her cheek, which I actually noticed, I did notice that at the start, mm. but it's quite subtle. Yeah. Her family told her that the scar was a birthmark. Um, Rita tells Char that the new Angela is also a changeling, and thus the fire ritual must be repeated to get the real Angela back. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on folklore, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I did have like a little look into the folklore of it. So a changeling is also historically referred to as like this human-like creature is found throughout Europe, not just like an Irish folklore. And it seems to be like a fairy that's been left in place of a human, typically a child stolen by other fairies. And it's been referenced since like the 17th century, but it's actually found in Scottish folklore as well. So I don't know if you have any, like, I don't know if you know anything about folklore, if you don't, I don't know if this is like super accurate, but I really liked this side of the film and I almost wish we got a bit more of it. Um, yeah, kind of like some scenes of like history of them or something like that. Yeah, no, I thought like I thought it was really well done. Like I I I too also agree because like one of my favorite like like subgenres of like horror films is like research horror where like they have specific scenes where they're like they're either going to libraries or they're talking to like academics and they get the exposition and the information and stuff like that. It always like just makes me feel warm and fuzzy and nice and um, but at the same time with this film I thought I, was, I really enjoyed how kind of nuanced it was because I think it added to the folk horror uneasiness like in the sense that like it wasn't like a full supernatural film where it's literally just about the changeling and it's like about all of that stuff because it was also about you know the home life issues and mental health issues and all of these things intertwined. I thought it made just bringing in the changeling folklore to kind of prop up those other elements really, like I thought it just added to it. But yes, I also kind of, part of me would have liked more about the background and the actual like historic mythology, but also I thought for this film and the narrative, I thought it worked well as it was. Um, but I think like from what like from my own experience of like you know knowing what I do know about Irish history and like kind of folklore like it was pretty accurate to what like you know they describe like changelings like when they would occur what they are and yeah I thought it was pretty well done and I really like I just really enjoyed that aspect of the film. It's a different way of telling the story of mental health like bringing it in as a changeling and how pe people are changed by mental health struggles like we spoke about this a little bit when we did the Babadook and how it's so interesting like watching the person like become the monster because you kind of feel like a monster sometimes when you're so irritable and 
like grouchy and like pushing people away like that's what it feels like so to kind of see that be embodied in terms of mental health like similar to you Lucy like I don't really know anything about changelings but I love seeing mental health being portrayed as a monster because that's what it feels like sometimes that's what it feels to me sometimes like I don't know that person who is going through the depressive episodes are very different to me when I'm feeling a lot more stable so I think it's really interesting seeing it portrayed like that because I do think a lot of people still like don't understand they're like oh depression you just feel a bit sad fucking cheer up but it's not like that at all it's really just like this horrible monkey on your back that's taken over and like I I like it when mental health is portrayed like that because that's well to me anyway that's how it feels yeah I quite like the whole like with the change like it's it's not Angela it's a doppelganger because like you know with mental health especially neurodivergency putting in it as well you can feel like you're masking a lot to the world and like there's two sides of you there's like your home you and there's maybe work you or even with friends or family you feel like you have to maybe put on a pretense and not let people know how bad your mental health is or you know with other mental health disorders there is like a variety of other things that come with like multiple personalities schizophrenia bipolar but I think a lot of people even with depression anxiety can feel that kind of maybe there is like they have this like doppelganger that's trying to have it all together I know that I can relate to that anyway feeling like it's like a it's like the physical mask really yeah and or um what I really enjoyed about the use of the changeling too is like historically in Ireland like the folklore of the changeling was often used to as like to actually try and explain what were actual mental health issues like if people you know were all of a sudden not happy with changes in family members attitudes and stuff like that the turn would be it was a changeling like the one of the most like historically one of the more recent or like the most like I guess famed one but back in like late 1800s there was like a husband who murdered his wife like so it was Martin and Bridget Cleary he like burned her alive set her on fire because he was adamant that she had been a changeling and like apparently this was this woman was someone who like like looking back now you can see was someone who suffered a lot of mental health issues and she's also historically in Ireland been referred to as like the last uh like official like witch to have been murdered in Ireland and stuff like that folklore historic wise so I think just the fact that this film was like using the changeling as a metaphor for mental health was just really nuanced and clever and it just added so much to it I'm going to have to look this up afterwards because this is really fascinating to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to look up that case. So Lindsay, did you want to come in there at all? Yeah, I was just going to say like the way that the transformation that Angela goes through as well, like when you're saying about masking and stuff there, Lucy, like you do get to a point where you can't hide it anymore. And that's kind of like, that's you becoming like at your worst and that's Angela becoming like, at her worst so it's really very visually representative the the outside sh- like the inside showing on the outside you know what I mean yeah definitely um so after this we have um you know even though Angela 
agrees that you know right we'll do the fire ritual to to get to get her mom back she sees angela's bound and gagged and tied to her bed which is obviously making presumed by rita she's absolutely appalled at this she still sees the humanity in her and wants mm. to help where it seems that rita is just like lost both sides. Lost, <laughs> it, that's exactly what i was gonna say lost cause you know she's it seems like she's been the primary caregiver of Shar for pretty much most of her life since this happened so you can kind of see all sides of this, you know, suffering with severe mental health issues, but there's also this folklore side of things that's not necessarily who she is. Shar wants her mom desperately, and she's also frustrated by this situation, but Rita, you know, you can kind of see all three, well, four sides, because there's Aaron as well. You can kind of understand each part of the family dynamic, mm. which again, that's why I quite like on the morally gray side of things, you know, you feel sorry for Angela. You do under I wouldn't I don't agree with what Rita did, but I can understand to an extent why she did that. So despite her grandmother's protest, Shar frees Angela, only to realize too late that you know Rita spoke the truth and it's not the real Angela. And the changeling kills Rita. And we have like, this is where we really see like the mask come off. As I say, we've got this like really cool, like special effects makeup on the skin. And mm. um, she's becoming this like demonic fairy. What do we think of this? Lindsay, I know as I was like, you're a massive fan of special effects. What did you think of this like physical transformation? Yeah, like she, she turns a lot like darker. You see kind of like bits of skin and stuff coming off. And you kind of understand that scene earlier when she like shoves her whole hand down her throat like it's like she's coming out of herself almost um so yeah it looks really good and then later on when we see it but like before the final co- confrontation it looks really like gross and cool and <laughs> Uh, and yeah like the final transformation we get as well is just really dark and creepy and I did enjoy it. Belle what do you think? Yeah no like I just like that one scene in the bedroom where as you said when she realizes oh shit my grandmother was telling the truth when like she just sees in the mirror the reflection of like 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 you know as someone who like you know that was like a maybe like a mini jump scare moment because you weren't expecting it and you just (laughs) see it and it was just like that's just unnerving and it was just kind of like unsettling imagery and like that image like of just that smile and like the stitched eyes like that has stayed in my head from the first time I watched the film so like even though I kind of like knew when it was going to be coming up again on this rewatch it still got me because it was just such like a really well done like effects and really unnerving imagery but yeah I just like how it's like from this moment on is as you said it's the unraveling of the changeling when we realize this isn't Angela this is this creature that's replaced her in some way and now as you said the mask is off and you see just that unraveling and I just think it's just really well done. I'm trying to remember what scene it is, and I don't know why for the life of me I can't remember, but it's a scene where there's Shar and Rita's next to her, and the rest of the, it's all pitch black. But that was a really good scene as well. I don't know if it's at that point, just before she dies. I think it is just, yeah, where, like, when it's like, yeah, it's like, I think it's just before she dies, because, or maybe it's like after she's died, because I think, that scene is explain it explains what happened beforehand because like another thing about when you're looking into the folklore of changelings and stuff like that it kind of explains that not only is there the actual 
corporeal changeling that has replaced your loved one or something. It's also that there's just general bad luck in the house and it affects people in the house. So I think it's after Rita gets killed and we see her, like basically her ghost appear and whisper and say, burn her. That scene explains what happened beforehand because remember when Suzanne was invited over and Shar was like, can Suzanne stay for dinner? And the grandma mm-hmm. was like, no, we see Suzanne in the kitchen. Like she like saw the picture of like Shar as a little kid and she was like, oh, this is so adorable. I'm going to look at it. And then as she's looking at it, you see this ghostly, ghastly figure, which I think is supposed to be her mother, which is like warning her and says, you need to leave get out Mm -hmm. and but that scene like when it first happens I was like what the fuck that doesn't make any sense but then afterwards when you see it happen again which is with Rita maybe it's just something for some reason because the changeling's presence is in this house it's like weakening the barriers between like you know this world and the afterlife or something like that I'm not entirely sure but spooky shit is happening <laughs> that's very true because I think they do say it's a connection to the other world at one point mm. when they're talking about the history of it I think there's like a museum scene but no that scene with Rita whispering burned her that's just that's in my mind because it's so fucking spooky and I shit myself when it came up I was like oh <laughs> I really like visually as well that's another mm. scene that had been so good in the cinema but yeah that's a very fair point Sean runs out of the house but of course, the school bullies are about, aren't they? Um, this is, as you mentioned, Lindsay, this is a difficult scene. This is actually a really difficult scene to watch because at first you're not sure if they're joking or not, but they, people did this as their kids or they knew about, you know, you get a lighter, you get a can of deodorant and it makes like a massive fire. And they're threatening to do that to Shara's face. And it's just like, you don't know if they're actually going to take the joke that far or not. And it's a, a very uncomfortable scene to watch. I don't know if you two felt the same, but I was like, not enjoyable yeah. to watch. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, I think, I think if I remember correctly, like this scene of like the bullies threatening to burn Shara's face. And as they say, we're going to add to your birthmark type thing. Like, mm-hmm. it was like really, like, I think that happens slightly before the real unraveling of Angela like before Rita's like died because isn't it like it's like I think like Angela says I'm going for a walk to Aaron like so this was this scene happened just like because then Shara gets home after like Angela had climbed crawled into the river and almost like drowns her and it was like what is going on here and then they get back and that's when you realize Aaron was poisoned so like I think that's when the first like issue of like we're going to burn your face happened and then it's later on is when as you said it escalates to we're going to burn your entire body (laughs) Uh, but luckily they don't because they're scared off by the changeling Angela comes around and makes them shit themselves real fucking quick um Angela pushes her way into it because there's also um like a Halloween bonfire going on Mm. and you see I really like the scene where there's groups of people outside and you've got the changeling Angela just like screaming and grunting and almost like animalistic but Mm. I mean if it's Halloween you're gonna think maybe somebody's just playing into a character you know but the way she's moving around those crowds it was a very unsettling scene so Angela pushes her way into the bonfire to get to Char but Char sets the structure light knowing that they need to do the fire ritual um, Angela burns and Shar ends up getting rescued from the flames by Suzanne who you know 
since they kind of had that friendship going on you know they've said that they'll be there for each other Suzanne you know has said that she'll support her through all this and you know she is there with her to to the end after this we get a final scene so Angela is what we assume to be fully restored to her to her true self mm -hmm. there's no changeling um, and Char makes her a lucky token of twigs to keep her safe which we see at the start of the film as well because Rita gives her one as well um it seems that mother and daughter are happy to be together, together again and kind of ready to move on with their lives. And it's it's kind of, I don't know how you two feel at the end because it is supposed to be quite a happy scene, but I was almost waiting for a, this isn't the end. You know, the changeling is still kicking about. How do you both feel about that ending? Hmm. Well, I think like I like it when, because like we see Char like make that like um token of protection like the kind of like mm -hmm. little ball of twigs which Rita had given her earlier but we also see as Shar is making it she has the book yes which, she does which yeah. is like which is I guess is to let us know it's the same book that was at the start of the film so it's obviously this book of like either folklore or magic or witchcraft or something like that and I don't know I kind of liked that imagery of like craft being handed down through the generations of the women in this family I thought that was like a really kind of nice kind of message type thing like it's a generational thing um but yeah like there was that feeling of uneasiness in the sense that it's just like especially because of the fact that the changeling was replaced at the very start of the film and has now been replaced at the end of the film who's to say that it won't come back like that's obviously why it seems that they're actually moving and they're leaving it seems mm -hmm. like they're going somewhere else so that's like could possibly be you know maybe they're going somewhere where the changeling won't find them or something but then the fairy folk are clever and they'll find you wherever they want to fucking find you <laughs> exactly Lindsay what did you think of that ending um just circle back quickly I love that she used the weapon that was being threatened against her on the changeling yeah uh, like I love that moment for her um in the final scenes I was not expecting Angela to come back um I don't know like maybe I, I just thought they'll just like toasted the baby a little bit at the start rather than like fully <laughs> set her on fire but like I was really fully prepared to like watch Char kind of go through this new journey of living with her uncle and again like still feeling kind of sorry for her and how hard her life is and then seeing her mum come back there is that moment of joy and then like you say the changeling found Char they got rid of it it tried to find her again but got her mum and it, it is that kind of thought of is this just going to keep happening but Char is armed with knowledge now which is a good thing she has the book from her grandmother her grandmother showed her how to get rid of it and shown her how to make these protection balls I don't know I feel like and it's hinted at throughout the film like that Char's very intelligent and all the rest of it so I feel like now that this power is in Char's hands that everything is going to be better very true because she I think she skips a year of school as well so yeah. she's very academically inclined too so yeah that's that's true I hope it's happy for them because yeah. they deserve it but like you say fairy folk are smart so yeah. Like, well, I suppose, like, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like, you know, you mentioned, like, you know, the Babadook earlier, like, mm -hmm. you know, the ending of the Babadook isn't that, you know, grief 
goes away it's more that you just let it become part of your life like you know it's like you figure out how to work around it type thing and that's kind of what the symbolism at the end of Babadook is so maybe like in a similar way like you know now that the real Angela is back like maybe this the end of the film is kind of like that maybe that this is the, re- the feeling that of that kind of like tension or uneasiness that you're expecting something maybe to happen again is because you know no like there's always that feeling when whenever you know either if you have like mental health struggles yourself or you know someone in your family who has mental health struggles there that feeling is all even when they are there there's that feeling that it might reoccur or represent so maybe that's why that feeling the film was letting you have that but now as you were saying Lindsay Shar has the knowledge and the tools so it's like almost saying that Shar has like the ability to the new coping mechanisms and stuff like that the new kind of ways to deal with some if with this like re reappearing event or something like that so I don't know I think it's like a similar kind of like these things never go away we just learn how to better prepare for them type thing maybe that's the message at the end yeah exactly so with all that being said is there anything else we want to discuss about you are not my mother or should we get on to box office and ratings is there is there any, i think just it's just a really good film i just really it's just a really well done film i just had such a good time with it like and yeah i just want more people to get their eyes on it because i think it's sh- like i think like I would personally like you know equate this with films like even though it's obviously a much smaller budget and stuff like that but I would rank it with like the Ari Aster films and stuff mm-hmm. like that in just style and what it's doing and like the Babadook and these films that are like you know held up in such high regard like I put that in there with them so I just yeah I just want more people to go and watch that movie <laughs> I am curious, Belle, on your thoughts, like now that we've discussed Grabbers and You Are Not My Mother, like what do you think the difference has been in the decade since like in Irish horror and where do you kind of think it's going to go next? Yeah, well, I think, I think like the two films when you like sit them side by side, it's a good way of like, well, I think both showing how horror in general over the last 10 years has gone it's kind of like moved into this like realm of storytelling of like telling these really rich hard-hitting stories through the lens of horror like more so than ever before so I think it's like indicative of the general horror community but I think for Irish horror specifically I think it's showing us that we're going back to our folkloric roots like this film shows that we're leaning into it that it's like you know grabbers which is hilarious I love you have a good fun with it but it's very much like you know the image people have of Ireland looking in and I think you are not my mother is an indicator of this is what Ireland at its roots is and can be and I'm just excited for more Irish horror films that lean into those roots and those backgrounds also another film which I could have mentioned for this list was like The Hollow as well like that's another kind of like folk Irish horror film too um so yeah but with this like I just it's exciting for me just as we as Ireland as a country like starts to progress further away from like you know we 
kicked off like the shroud of the Catholic Church for like you know pushing further away from it into a more progressive like country and also the further we distance ourselves from our colonial roots it'll just be really interesting to see Irish mythology and Irish folklore come to the forefront and I think it just lends itself to horror film storytelling so I'm excited for the future of Irish horror especially if Kate Dolan is an example of what can be done. Perfectly said. Couldn't have said it by myself. And really, really interesting to hear that. I'm really excited to see where Irish horror goes in the next 10 years. And, you know, hopefully if there is more backing and support and like say people, yeah. people like Kate, you know, hopefully she makes another horror after this being her first feature. Who knows where the genre could go? Mm -hmm. um, but with all that being said, let's get into our ratings and box office. So Obviously, because this is an indie film, um, it is on Netflix, but um, oh, it didn't have a cinema release. So we don't have any budget budget info, but it did gross 56K. So I assume that's maybe from the festival route or just like mm. DVD rentals and sales. We do know this was really low budget. So, you know, Kate Dolan said that originally she wanted to film this like on film to get that really kind of like 70s 80s feel but they couldn't because they don't have the money for that because filming on film's really fucking expensive mm. but they they did it in different ways with different like and i do like the cinematography of this a lot they use different lensings and stuff like that to try and still get that kind of feel and also like another little fun fact i was beside myself when i saw this so apparently alice lowe who directed and wrote prevenge which has to be one of my favorite films that we've covered on the podcast i really enjoyed that um, Kate was part of her mentorship program before she made You Are Not My Mother and kind of went to her for advice on how to make something low budget and, you know, during COVID and stuff like that. So mm. two absolute icons of horror, you know, working together. I loved that. That's fantastic. I didn't know that about that aspect of like the history of Kate. And um, so that's really cool. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, so in terms of ratings, IMBD gave this film 5.8 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes critics gave it 89%. The audience, very different to the critics, only gave it 47%. And Metacritic gave it 74 So it's really varied across the board. But as we always say, we don't give a shit what the critics say. We only care about our own opinions and our guests. <laughs> so, Belle, I'm going to start with you. What are you going to give You Are Not My Mother out of 10? I just, like adore this film like so I'd personally like <laughs> now like in general like when it comes to rating horror films like maybe I'm just like so forgiving like I rarely rate films low even if like a film is objectively bad I still find the redeeming qualities and um, so I never really give low ratings but for this one I'd say I'd probably like put it at I don't know like a eight or a nine like I it could be either like part of me says maybe a 10 I don't know but it's just I just really enjoy it I think it's just really well done and yeah so yeah I'd rate it highly and what about you Lindsay what are you going to rate it out of 10 well I come into this I was gonna give it a seven but then after talking about it and really digging into it and how it portrays mental health and how it affects the family and stuff like I'm gonna bump it up to an eight because I do really think it deserves that it is a like a slow 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 burn so I do understand why the audience rating is that bit lower because it's not a film for everyone mm -hmm. but the acting like the writing and directing is so great in this um 
Look, I think if you're a fan of horror, you definitely need to check out this film. Definitely. Like, please go watch this, especially if your type of films are like Ari Aster films. Like, as somebody that's a massive fan of Ari Aster, and like I said, horror comedy is my favourite genre, but besides that, I love a complicated, slow film with foreshadowing lots of things. So this is my kind of film, but I do get why this wouldn't be a film for other people like it's not everybody's cup of tea but if that's your kind of thing you'll definitely like this i'm really humming and hanging between an eight and a half and a nine because i really like this film i think if it had a little bit more of that folklore history and maybe if it was mm-hmm. a little sped up in some bits it could actually be a 10 but i'm gonna be really awkward Lindsay. you're gonna fucking hate this i'm gonna go like an 8.8 8 or something so like <laughs> i can't decide so like nearly a nine <laughs> but that's the spooky sleepover for irish horror bella thank you so much for joining us this has been like a really insightful episode i've learned a lot well thank you for having me it's been my absolute pleasure and yeah like as someone who hosts a podcast, I always love like guesting because I can kind of take the back seat and just <laughs> let us, let someone else guide me and I can just do talking. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on social media and your podcast as well? Yeah, so social media wise, I'm make it easy. I'm Mixbell Morrigan everywhere. So that's Twitter, Instagram, OnlyFans, FetLife, everywhere. I'm Mixbell Morrigan. My podcast and my website is like a website blog, kind of everything in one is Fishnets and Philosophy. That's also my YouTube channel, which at the moment is very underused. I don't really have much on it, but I want to start using it more. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of everywhere. Like I'm spread, I'm spread everywhere. You can find me. <laughs> and Lindsay, where can people find you? I am at hi it's Lindsay underscore on all social media uh, also have a makeup Instagram uh, Lindsay loves makeup underscore yeah you can find me at lulu underscore pew on all the socials for horror stuff gay stuff writing I have a couple things getting published in the next month or so I'm doing a couple guest spots and some other podcasts so keep an eye out for that um if you want to listen well obviously you're listening to the podcast but if you want to follow us on the socials um you can find us on twitter at goodfriendpod and then goodfriend underscore podcast on instagram next week we are talking about nine to five as dolly parton would say talking about corporate horror in the workplace and we are talking about american psycho and the belco experiment i've never heard of that film Lindsay, and that's your choice i'm excited to see what it's about I was so set on doing that film I seen, as soon as I saw the theme that I haven't even checked if it's on streaming. I'm normally like very conscientious and try and make sure all my films are on streaming. But it was the first film that popped into my head. I saw it at the cinema when it first came out. I think it's great. It's just a big gory slasher fest. And yeah. I'm also a fan of the Belco experiment. <laughs> I, so I would recommend it. I also think it's fantastic. And also... If I'm not mistaken, it's somewhat producer James Gunn was involved in some way with the making of it. Yes. Um, or he was like either friends with the person who directed it or something like that. But he was involved in some way, which whenever I hear James Gunn has some involvement with a picture, I'm like, I'm there because like he's someone I enjoy his stuff. But yeah, I'm excited to listen to that episode. That sounds fun. Oh, you guys are getting excited to watch this film now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Catch us next week. And until next time, stay spooky.